Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're going to start by hearing our verses that I'm going to speak from. My name's Dan. I'm part of uh, the team here at Liberty Church Amsterdam. So over to Leon. Ephesians 1, verse 16 to 23. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thanks, Leon. Now, I'm new here, new on the team, new kid on the block, and uh, I'm trying to be friendly to everyone, and I'm enjoying it a lot. And I'm fairly easygoing, quite laid back. But if you said to me, Dan... I think you're cool, I like you, but I'm just not sure about your wife. You would offend me very quickly. You would quickly discover that I'm not so easygoing. And that's because I have been married for nearly 17 years and my wife knows me, I know her. And the Bible describes it actually that we've become one together. So if you offend her, you offend me. If you offend me, you offend her. And this is what it's like between Jesus and his church. I've got friends who wouldn't say they're Christ followers and they would say, this man Jesus, the, the historical figure that we've heard about, we can respect him. You know, he, he said some really wise things, but actually I don't want to have anything to do with his church. And actually I know some friends who would uh, call themselves Christ followers and, and they would probably say similar things. Maybe they wouldn't say it, but they'd think it. And maybe they wouldn't actually think it or say it, but their behavior would show it. And in the verses we just heard from this morning, um, we discover that Jesus calls himself, is appointed the head of the church. So this morning we're talking about the church. The lines of the Apostles' Creed that I'm focusing on are those that say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. We're particularly looking at the two verses at the end where it says, verse 21 and 22, and he put all things under his, Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him all in all. Now, you might fairly ask the question, why bother with the church in the 21st century? Isn't it an old, uh, an outdated, irrelevant institution? And these verses tell us that Jesus has been given the church as his body. And we, as the church, have been given Jesus' as head. So why bother with the church in the 21st century? Simply because Jesus does. We'll see in a bit that Jesus never says, you know, you can love me, you can respect me, but don't worry about 
the church. Don't worry about those other Christians. We'll see in a bit that it's important to Jesus that we get on with each other. In the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus has returned to to earth and to rule and reign in his fullness, is connected to his church. We see in Ephesians 5, it describes this relationship between Christ and his church as a great mystery. Actually, you can't love Jesus and not love his church. Paul is calling us in these verses to have a high view of the church. Now, in the creed, it talks about the holy Catholic church and that isn't referring to the Catholic Church with a big C where the Pope is his head. It simply is a, an old English word meaning the whole church or the universal church. One theologian, Wayne Grudem, describes the whole church as the community of all true believers over all time. And actually we talk about it in our language too. We talk about our church, we talk about their church, we talk about the church. You know, with issues of injustice, we want the universal church to respond, but we also need to respond ourselves as well. So the church is both local and universal. It's personal and corporate. It's my church and it's our church. And this idea that Jesus is the head and we're the body is one I want to explore further. Because Paul is not just giving us a nice metaphor. It's not just a nice picture, but it's much deeper than that. He describes it as a mystery. Paul is saying more than just that, you know, Jesus is the boss and we get to be in his company or Jesus is the head coach and we get to play on his team. Because when you're playing on the team, you know, you come, you're invested, you want to win, you listen to the instructions, but then you go home and you leave afterwards. You know, there's an element of mystery to this relationship Jesus has with his church. And we begin to see that mystery in uh, John 17 when Jesus prays for his church. And he prays this, John 17, verse 22. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. So Jesus wants us as the church to be one as the Trinity is one. We see the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they have the most perfect, the most intimate relationship that any beings could have. And Jesus wants that for the local church, for the universal church. You might expect that, but it goes further in these verses. And It says that it wants us as the church to be kind of one with him in the Trinity. Marcus Peter Johnson, a theologian, he says this about that. That Jesus in these verses is declaring to us that in our union with him, we participate in the most sacred assembly of persons. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, that this means that the church is the most sacred assembly of persons in the entire creation by reason of our participation in the triune persons. We have been joined to the communion, the life, and the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is profound on multiple dimensions. 
The Bible gives us a, a partial illustration of this in marriage. And when I was thinking about how I'm joined to my wife, she's called Sophie, by the way, and she's very cool. I like her a lot. And we are joined in multiple ways. You see, firstly, we took marriage vows, and they're legally binding. Secondly, although this probably came first, um, we fell in love. We're emotionally bound to each other. We'd say we're in love with each other. Thirdly, we can become physically joined together. We can hold hands and we can hug. Fourthly, we're financially joined together. We have a joint bank account. Fifthly, the Bible, as I mentioned earlier, says that we have become one. And I think there's other ways as well, but you begin to see that it's a multi-dimensional joining. And that's how it is with Jesus and his church. And these kind of joins defy our understanding. How are we joined? The verses that Leon read earlier, they, they point towards some of the ways. We're joined in a hope. Jesus gives us a hope, and, and it's a hope that is in him. It's a hope of present forgiveness for all the wrong that we've done. It's a hope of a new purpose together. The verses talked about having an inheritance in the future. We have an inheritance in him and we have an inheritance with him. It's a future blessing into eternity. We're also joined within God's power, which is incredible. So we are joined to Jesus and how the church is joined to Jesus is so much deeper than just trying to adopt a set of behaviors or a new religion, a new way to live. It's eternal, it's powerful, it's being found within the person, persons, the life and the love of the triune God. This is so deep. What does it mean that Jesus is head of the church? I'm just picking two things. One, it means that we can never, he can never be separated from the church. It doesn't mean that he's less than the independent God that he is. He can choose to do whatever he wants, but he's given promises that he'll build his church. He's never going to give up on his church. And we, as uh, the church, aren't just a group of like-minded believers, but Jesus has also joined us to himself for eternity. So this means that we can get comfort from this, that when the church looks messy, when maybe the church disappoints us or lets us down or hurts us, we can trust that Jesus is still working on the church, that he's never going to give up on the church. He can't ever separate himself from the church. Secondly, it means that he is in charge. The earlier verse, verse 21, it describes Jesus' power as this that it's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Jesus' position is superior to every other imaginable power. And it doesn't mean that all other powers are simply inferior to Jesus' power, but actually it means that they are subject to him. It described it as being under his feet. So, because we're talking about the Catholic Church, I was thinking about the Pope, and the Pope uh, is an under-shepherd of Jesus for the Catholic Church. And in our church, Liberty Church, Matt is the leader, and we, uh, but he's an under-shepherd of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate 
head of the church. He's in charge. He's the one we're submitted to. He's the one we want to follow the lead of. He has the authority and the power. He has given us free will in how we live it out. But make no mistake, he will work the church out for his plans and for his purposes. I find it so reassuring. Uh, You might have heard the phrase that that Jesus can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Because I know that my heart is still crooked. That he has forgiven me completely, but some of my desires are still uh, mixed. My motives are mixed. But the more I'm submitted to him, the, the straighter I become, but it doesn't change the line that he can draw with me. And the more submitted I become to him, the more glorious his church can become too. And when Jesus shows his authority, it's always inviting. It's never enforcing. He came as the suffering servant and he never abuses his power. In our society, we can see authority as a bad thing. Because bad things happen when authority gets arrogant. But the Bible teaches us a positive view of authority with Jesus' example. So he is in charge and this should give us faith. It should give us courage to act and to follow him. To be obedient to him and to what the Bible says. That knowing as we do it, as we do church together, Jesus can be glorified. And we can be fully satisfied in him. He can make the church fulfill his eternal plans and purposes. So that's two things it means that Jesus is the head, that he can't be separated, that he's in charge. What then does it mean that we're his body? So obviously it means as a body, one thing is that we're connected to one another. Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. So we are one with Christ and one with another in one body. And we're beginning to talk now about the second phrase in the creed, the communion of the saints. And I want to talk about kind of two broad topics of how we commune together, how we're a common community together. And that is through unity and through participation. Unity is when we decide that we can put aside all the things that divide us and we look at the things that draw us together. It's when we choose to accept each other's annoying habits, the irritations, the different haircuts, the different pronunciations we might have. It's not in order just to say we're human and therefore we're all the same, but it goes beyond that because it recognizes that Bible says We each have been made in God's image and we have God's fingerprints upon us. That we are all made by him and as Christ followers we can all be forgiven by the same blood that Jesus suffered and shed on the cross and it now unifies us in communion with him and with each other. Unity is a call to a few things. One, unity is a call to curiosity. It's a call to try and find out how different people reflect the ways that the different aspects of God to you. Because if God has fingerprints on me, he has fingerprints 
on you, then we express different things. And as we get to know each other, we can see different aspects of who God is. It's a call to see God's fingerprints on all humankind, whether they look like you, whether they sound like you, whether they act like you, whether they live in the same place you live, or whether they don't. This can be active, it can be exhausting, but it's incredibly rewarding. Jesus went even further than just a curiosity. And this is part of the good news that the Bible talks about. He didn't just put his own kind of cultural likes, his preferences aside, but he was prepared to take on human flesh. He left the perfect relationship he had in heaven with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he took an eternal change to be, to put on flesh, to become like us. And to accept death as the only way that we can then have unity with the Godhead again. And unity with each other. And part of what we want to do as a community here, as a church here, is to display diversity. And that diversity is displayed in the gospel. So the third call is to unity as a call to humility. Unity means appreciating one another's differences. And as a newcomer to Amsterdam, I want to learn about what it means to be Dutch, to have the attitude of appreciating a new culture and wanting to contribute and be a blessing here as well. You know, there can be many causes of division in the church and most of them kind of come from the place where I think everything should be my way. I think my way is the best way. And the amazing news today is that in Liberty Church Amsterdam nobody gets 100% their own way because we all want to create a space where we can reflect who God is where actually everyone's kind of compromising a little bit and reaching out to one another so that we have uh, a display of unity here this week it seems fitting to talk about unity as we're reeling from another brutal murder of a black man at the hands of a white policeman and as a community we're shaken and, it's, and we're grieving for it and uh, it's so important friends that we do some self reflection that we come before God and we ask him to show us is there uh, any racism or prejudice in our hearts you know I've come to realize that we're all prone to prejudge others I'm trying to set up life here and it's involved me calling lots of uh, service centers. And as soon as the, I hear the voice, maybe you're the same, but you form a judgment as to who's on the other end of the line. When you walk down the street, you see other people, some of them look like you, and you form one opinion of them. Others maybe don't, and maybe there's a stereotype that instinctively springs to mind and you expect them to behave in a certain way. This is, this is prejudging people, and, and it can lead to unhelpful prejudice. We're all prone to it. And instead, we need, to kind of, we need the Holy Spirit to live in us like it lived in Jesus. It's a call to incarnational living, where Jesus stepped into other people's shoes. He stepped into our shoes. He lived among people who would usually be marginalized. When I 
first moved to South Africa about 12 years ago, and I, I've spent most of the last, well, all of the last decade there. When I first arrived, I realized um, that my skin culture, my skin color, caused a reaction in others like I'd never had before. I also discovered that I had a culture. Me as a white European, I had a culture that I'd never fully recognized before. And uh, these kind of realizations happened fairly superficially and fairly quickly. And it took years and years to fully appreciate what that meant to some people. So I had uh, a friend, a, a black brother in the church, and we were on the leadership team together and we journeyed for probably five years and then there was one day he said, look, if you don't understand my pain, you don't understand me. And he'd probably said it before, but I'd not heard it. Maybe he hadn't said it before because I think it took years of building up trust uh, and of hearing each other's hearts before he would actually say such a thing. But in that moment, I began to realize there were those around me who had, were carrying pain of racism. And, and for him, it was daily experiences. And I thought he was okay. I thought he was strong in this. And it gave me a new perspective on him. It gave me a new perspective on me and my own heart. And at Liberty, we want to be a church community that actively institutionalizes non-racism and diversity, intentionally reaching across the divides in our society, inside the church and beyond it we should ask ourselves some deep heart-searching questions. You know, how many people do we know who carry hurt and pain from racism? Maybe you're tuning in today and you're carrying pain from racism and, and maybe you've not shared it. And I think it would help you, it would help us as a church to know something of that pain, to hear something of your story. We need to move to listening to really listening and not just assuming that we understand. I want to encourage us to talk about this in our community groups. I know that many of them meet after, uh, after this live stream on a Sunday. And, and please, you know, think through these questions. Discuss how it affects you. Take a moment to breathe. We're moving from unity to participation. And participation is... A, I'm talking about two things. One is one anothering. Because in the New Testament there are 59 instructions on how we should treat each other in church. 59 verses that kind of use the phrase one another. The most frequent is to love one another. Then it goes on to honor one another, to live in harmony with one another, to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'm not going to go through all 59. But two more. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Encourage one another daily. Now most of this kind of one anothering won't happen when we gather as a church on a Sunday in a meeting, but it's going to gather in our relationships. It's going to gather in our community groups. I felt very blessed this week um, when I got to socially distance in real life with my community group and meet some of them for the very first time and they blessed me with a Dutch food orientation pack. It was very exciting. There were incredible delicacies and delightful smelling and tasting things like uh, chocolate flakes and like tiny miniature pancakes. 
And I was a little concerned. I wondered if perhaps I'd offended someone when I also pulled out some pickled herring with some raw onion by the side to dip into it. I haven't quite got the courage to explore this yet, but soon. Jesus was full of incarnational living, so maybe I have to. But I was blessed by their love for me, their acceptance of me. And I've also, um, as being part of On Team, I've, I've been wanting to connect with different community group leaders. So I've been doing this and I've been hearing stories of how the groups have been going. Uh, particularly uh, at this time where, of COVID-19, you, you would kind of expect that people are needing to pull away from each other, that it could be an isolating time. But I'm hearing story after story of how the community groups and the leaders are creating uh, places where people can be even more intimate uh, in kind of what's going on in their life together. They're, they're meeting more frequently than, than they were before. So friendships uh, have been building even stronger. And if you're not part of a community group, I, I, I think you're missing out. And others are missing out on your contribution to it as well. So do, you can message us, you can get a hold of us and we'll try and put you in one. And if you're part of a community group, keep doing what you're doing. Keep leaning in. Keep um, letting people know who you are. Keep knowing that you're valued. Get to know them. Know that others appreciate you there. So participation is about one another. And the Bible gives another phrase as well. It calls it the priesthood of all believers in 1 Peter. And that says that we all have something to contribute to church. We've been meeting previously as a group on a Zoom call, and I love the gallery view where you get to see all these little bricks of people. And it's kind of a picture of the church. You could imagine, you know, the hundreds of people who are involved in Liberty Church Amsterdam on one massive Zoom call. And what's nice is every brick is equal. Everyone contributes to this beautiful big picture of the church. And that's how we need to function as a body. You know, for some, it's going to overlap with your nine to five, what you do. For others, it'll be something completely different. The point is that Jesus designed us to be interdependent upon each other. And you might actually feel like you don't need church today. But the fact is, I need you in church today. Not in some you know, emotionally manipulative way, but because you see things that I can't see. Because God can use you in ways he can't use me. And we were meant and designed to be interdependent as a church. We need each other. So I'm coming in to land the preach and to conclude. As we get this theology that Jesus is the head, that he's head profoundly, powerfully, and eternally joined to his church, the body, as we begin to get that we're called towards unity and participation, unity and diversity, participation in one anothering each other, participation in being a priesthood of all believers. I'm trusting that some of the meetings and activities we do as a church will make more sense. That we gather to display God's wisdom. We gather to display unity. Most of all, we gather to display something of the gospel that Jesus is working out in me, that he's still working it out, that he's still got more to work out in me and in us together as a church. And obviously we want to keep bringing others in to this church as well, into this community, into this relationship with Jesus. I just encourage us to keep uh, reaching out to other people. Ask, uh, ask Jesus specifically, you know, the, the people he brings into your world, at work and 
the home, wherever you are, your neighbours. Ask him how you might be able to pray for others. Ask him how you might be able to uh, bless them practically at this time. Keep sharing your life story of how Jesus is helping you at this time. So I'm hoping you're feeling a little bit challenged and a little bit encouraged to love the church as you love Jesus. To love the church community, to make it your community, to make this church your church. To commit to regularly attend Sundays and community groups because it's just not as good when you're not there. I'm hoping it's encouraged you to help to build a church that crosses society's divides. In fact, you can kind of think of yourself as a bridesmaid, which is hard for me as a man to do. But I've seen bridesmaids at weddings and they do all that they can to prepare the bride for the big day. They do all that they can to, 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 to make it as wonderful as amazing, to share the responsibility for the bride. The analogy stops because when Jesus comes back and Revelation talks about this amazing wedding feast, we're not just guests at the wedding, but we're part of the bride. We are his church. So when we gather on Sunday, come expecting to be absolutely amazed at the one who has brought us together, to the one who has made us his church and his bride. Know that we can live each day safe and secure in the knowledge that Jesus couldn't care anymore about his church. Because after all, he gave his life for her. Let me pray for us. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you for your amazing sacrifice for your church, for us individually and corporately. We thank you, Jesus, that you've got a plan for us. You've got an invitation for each one of us to participate in making your church more and more glorious. We thank you that we can trust you, that you're the head, that you'll lead us in the right paths. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be upon each one of us as we want to display a glorious God, a wise God, a God who crossed heaven and stepped and walked in our shoes today. Thank you for your church. Amen.